Welcome to Up To and Including Death. My name is Dr. Patricia Brewer. I'm John Brewer. And I'm Stephen Gross. And this is Brother Steve. He's come to join us. I've just been told that I'm loud. Because I'm deaf. For the first time. You were... You were just told that. You've been told that your entire life. As if I was the only gross that was ever loud. I'm the only one with an excuse. It's what it is. A PhD? <laughs> wow. This is the this is the support that I get, everybody. This is the support that I get. This is a podcast in which uh, John and I watch terrible movies or horror movies. And sometimes yeah. Brother Steve comes to join us. Yeah, they're not horrible. They're not horrible. They're horrible. Yeah, they're rarely horrible. Just no. the one. Just the one, actually. Every one that we've watched has been awesome, except for the one that I can yeah. remember the name of that I the hate. The Ring. Don't look now. The no. Ring. The Ring oh. was like, okay. So what are your thoughts on The Ring, Steve? The Japanese version? I think it should have stayed in Japan. Yeah. Like, that movie was boring. It made no sense. Had no character development. This tone was sporadic and all over the place, and I hate it. So, John, what is your defense of the ring? I don't know if I can defend yeah, John. it. It's Japanese. Okay, that's kind of racist. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's yeah, not yeah, racist. It's, a, it's like, but I think you know, that is something that it's just like because it's different doesn't make it good. So, no, like, it's it's the build of suspense that's in Japanese horror. That's what I meant. I didn't mean anything. Yeah. Racist so, so there are different things in Japanese horror that are more prevalent and so that do exist in the Japanese version of The Ring, but it doesn't make it even a good Japanese horror movie. No, but I was tempered in Japanese horror, so I think I go in expecting it to be like that. Which, do you, can you tell me, like, your top two? My top two? Um, imprint and... Oh, who? No, I would say... His uh, eyes lit up and then he was like, oh, no! <laughs> audition. Oh, Audition is so good. That's a good and then either Imprint or Pulse. Okay. Pulse starts off horrific. I don't think I've seen was either. That the one, was Pulse about the one where the people killing themselves? No. It Well, it opens with a lady performing, like, backyard abortions and, like, whipping babies into the river. Oh! <laughs> See? Okay. Like, See, this yeah. is what we come to the party the for. So, so basically, I remember... Or maybe that was imprint. Like, I, I grew up with Japanese horror through video games. That was, like, Resident Evil is a Japanese horror in a lot of ways that yeah. comes out. And But even, like, things like Fatal Frame and other video games that are... Silent Hill. Silent Hill. And you see these kinds of things. And one of the things that I always found eerie in a Japanese horror, it turns out not to be Japanese horror at all. It was just, like, for example, when people are in a mall and things just look a certain kind of way and it's yeah. very eerie the way that it's laid out but that's because we are americans and we don't have japanese malls a lot of the eeriness of japanese um horror is in just some of the layout of being an american and not used to what that looks like and then i moved to japan and at first i was like this is very scary but that's like because the, I'd seen this before, but only in the zombie apocalypse version. And I had a similar feeling when I moved to the University of West... When I taught at the University of West Georgia, um, I lived in the town next to the town that they filmed Walking Dead. And I would oh, go yeah. running in the cool. woods on these trails that were the same woods where they filmed Walking Dead. And that was like... This is a very similar experience as when I lived in Japan. And then I kind of, once I lived there long enough, I kind of could understand a little bit of difference between what's going on culturally in the movie to make sense yeah. of, like, the grudge and to make the grudge even better than it is. Yeah. But I didn't really, not that, you like, know, two years of living somewhere gives you, like, some kind of expertise, but I didn't feel like you could just say that it's Japanese and that's why, but it's good, I swear, because it's Japanese. Like, no, like, the grudge is Japanese, and you know what it is? Scary. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's good. Way when I was in uh, when I was in London, yeah, I got stranded there for a few weeks, and um, like London is just familiar enough to not like make you feel like you're on another planet, but just unfamiliar enough that you like get little reminders that you're not home. Yeah, like, if you go to their convenience store, like everything is lit with like white lights. Like it's I don't know. I can't describe the coloring of it. It's like it's or not like fluorescent light. You can't get drugs at the grocery store. You have to go to a pharmacy. Yeah, or yeah. a chemist. Or a chemist. Or a back alley. Or a back alley. 
Yeah, or, or you know, that's the same the same thing. Yeah. Or in, in London, Applebee's. <laughs> they call Applebee's a back alley. Well, you can get laxative at Applebee's. It's basically the food. Yeah. <laughs> I had a student recently tell me about her experience working at Applebee's where we live. Oh. And I heard some stores. things. It just sounded like a lot like when you get a manager that's twenty eight to thirty five. And he's a douchebag dude, and he has a lot of people that are like eighteen to twenty-two working under him that are girls. Oh. And it sounds exactly like every single dude that. Hey, I... that's usually me in the summertime. <laughs> no, that's you, Steve. But you're not creepy. No, I have no real patience for people. So. No. Yeah. They, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't really care for them too much. So if you don't care for people too much, then it's hard to be creepy. You're just. Yeah, it's hard. It's like. Well, it's like the creepy thing you have to recognize that you want something from that person that's more yeah. than just to clean up the fucking ice cream that they spilled yeah, on I the ground. Yeah, I just want them to do their damn job. Yeah, if that's you could just, I'm like, go clean do. the bathrooms and not bitch at me about it, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I, I used to work at a restaurant washing dishes, and the only after-hours responsibility for the waitresses was to vacuum yeah. the floor. And there was this one that would flirt with all the dishwashers to get them to vacuum for her. Oh. And I'm like, I'm not, Fuck that, I'm not, I'm not falling for this. I'm 15, you're 19. <laughs> There's goddamn nothing you want with me. Go vacuum the floor. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, you're not putting out. Get out of here. I'm not going to help you. No, it's like, you I know, know you're One of the lose. best jobs I've ever had was, do you remember the Outback Cafe, Trish? I it do. It was on uh, Tidy Island I on do. the gas station. I do. Yeah, I used, me and Marla, who is, uh, for the people who don't know, is a lifelong employee of the restaurant that I work at. She's awesome. And she's great. And so I wanted a second job because I don't remember the reasoning. I was only, I was just out of the Navy, so I was used to doing, like, working like 16 hours and never sleeping. And so, um, I would work at the restaurant, the Sugar Shack, for 10, 12 hours. And then me and Marla would immediately drive over to the Outback, and I would wash dishes. That was my only job. I wasn't a manager. I didn't run the place. I didn't have any responsibility. I just sat there and did dishes. <laughs> and it was great. That <laughs> sounds really... smoke inside. So, <laughs> so I don't smoke inside. I don't smoke. But um, I will say that, like, at Michigan Tech right now, my only job is to teach classes, and that's it. And it's like, yeah. I mean, there's like a lot to it. It's very complicated. Yeah. And yeah. But it's like, for so long I've been teaching classes and having like, you know, being an advisor to students. And like, I had to put up, you know, do the um, giant major planning all on my own for, for the philosophy major. And doing all these other things, a writing dissertation. But like, it's just teach three classes. And that's it. So, it's my washing so dishes. So it's so nice because I love it. Like, I actually really like washing dishes. You know this about me, John. Okay. But, like, it's just so right. good. I, I hate doing my dishes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Uh, your school, are the advisors uh, in the programs? Yeah, Michigan or? Tech has, um, uh, shout out to Maria. Um, but uh, Michigan Tech has, um, I think, usually the program itself, or at least the department, has mm-hmm. a, a dedicated advisor. And they also, right. so the advisors work really close with the head of the department and all the other heads of the, like, so my department is a humanities department. So it's got, like, right. philosophy and it's got English and communication and a lot of, like, other right. types of the in languages it's all kind of wrapped up together yeah. um and so she has a lot of hats that she has to wear she's really nice and so like it's really nice to be able to reach out to her and for the students to be able to talk to her um yeah. weirdly in my department the philosophy classes fill up like before most other classes huh. but it's michigan there's a lot of like kids that come into college they're you know they're questioning their existence and stuff yeah. and Philosophy fills that void for that first semester. You know, this is like, it's also that you are senior and you've spent all your time learning facts and you just want to yeah. like something easier, something, something more ethereal in the air. Theory you know? that you get to think about, you know, and it's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm allergic to philosophy. Oh no. What I'm excited about oh is that I, okay, so my first semester teaching at Michigan Tech, 
I made the provost list. So John made the dean's list this semester because he got all A's yep. in his first hey. semester of college at Gogebic Community College. I'm very proud of him. He's very fancy. Congratulations. But my first semester teaching at Michigan Tech, I taught two classes and I made the provost list for having the top 10% of all the classes taught at Michigan Tech. There's thousands of classes taught. I was in the top, I was in the top 60, basically. So top 10% cool. in the top 60 yeah. of, um, of student evaluations. Okay. And this was like after I lost my job as a tenure track professor and like I picked up the, I picked up a lot of extra work. I was going through a lot of stuff and it was just one of those things of like, yeah, that's great. I would really like health insurance too, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but then they gave me health insurance this semester. So I spent all semester this semester, I'm teaching three classes telling them how I'm their favorite teacher that you should tell them on the student evaluations how amazing that I am and that I should have all the stars all the time I'm a five star review all the way because like, we started doing this podcast so it's like I'm thinking of five star reviews John that doesn't sound like she's starting a cult and, yeah. and then well yeah obviously. I always thought I would be the one starting a cult no it's like I'm the one with like following um, but, but then I was like and so on my student evaluations you should give me all the things this is how you spell the word fantastic. I got that one from my friend Sarah. Um, so this is how you spell fantastic and amazing and favorite. Um, and then like, <laughs> I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I'm really joking. You can do whatever you want. It's very important so they know things. But I, but then I also told them how I made the provost lists and I really need to make it again. But it's not for my job. It's for me. <laughs> Like, I made this thing, and I didn't realize it was something to be competitive about, and I did it without trying. So I really need to make that again. <laughs> so, I don't know. It sounds like you were trying pretty damn hard. I've been, no, I've been trying. <laughs> like, when I made it last time, I, I wasn't trying it at all. I mean, I was just doing my normal right. being a really good professor. But that's just, like, not trying to make the score. Right. But now I've, like, been doing conservative effort to get there. And I really hope that I just blew everyone out of the water. I want to be, like, number one. Yeah. It's hard to be number one when you just teach intro classes, though. You know, on the flip side of that, there is nothing more horrible than sitting next to a freshman philosophy major. That, <laughs> Stephen... It is. It, um, I have been a philosophy major, and I concur. So the history program at... Well, it was Armstrong, and then it switched to Georgia Southern. And so it got confused, and I had to wind up taking freshman classes when I was a junior or something like that. And I had to sit next to two freshman um, philosophy students, and it was awful mm -hmm. listening to the. I mean, it was awful, and it was also kind of like interesting listening to them trying to crack that nut that is like reality. Yeah. That we have, if you just hard, try hard enough. Like, but you know, like you're thinking like. The things that they're discussing are solely based off of what they learned in class today <laughs> and will change when, like, you know, they're, they're on lock and then they'll go to SART and then they'll go to, yeah. like, you know, like this and then they'll discover existentialism and then they'll try to kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, when I really uh, love telling them that there's no meaning to life, but they have to give themselves all the meaning that there is. And they're like, no. <laughs> I thought that was the most amazing thing. When I took my philosophy class, mm -hmm. when we got to existentialism, a lot of the students in there didn't like it. I thought it was fast. I loved the yeah. idea of like, you know, this life is what you have and yeah. your destiny is whatever you make of it. You know what and I really like? That. Have you ever like read Camus in the myth of Sisyphus? Uh, I know about the myth of Sisyphus. So, you know, so the myth of Sisyphus is basically, he got punished because he was a butthead and the gods punished him by, after he died, he had to roll a rock up a hill and it, and it would be too heavy at the top of the hill. He can't get just to the top and it rolls yeah. back down. So in the myth of Sisyphus, it's a, um, it's a, an essay by Camus and there's a book that's called the myth of, myth of Sisyphus and other essays. Heartily recommend it. So... Anyway, so about Camus, who Daddy Dick, our, our grandfather, took a class from him. And That's it was... where I remember it. Daddy Dick and Nana used to read me uh, yeah. the Sisyphus thing. Yeah, and so know. that's insane really? that they did that. But the thing is, like, 
He was also like, Daddy Dick was also kind of pretty pissed about it because he thought he was going to get an economics class and he had right. fucking Albert Camus teaching him. <laughs> and so Albert Camus is like, okay, time to do existential economics. And it's like, what the fuck only, is that like? Only he, Daddy Dick would be upset about something like that. Yeah, I know. But it's just like, because it's like, well, I'm supposed to learn economics. And it's like this, like... That's our, how dialed in as a person. Our was. Republican <laughs> grandfather, who, like, Republican every day of his life, social liberal, he would say kind of, but, like, mostly Repu- Republican economically, definitely. How to take an like economics class. Eisenhower Republicans. Eisenhower, literally, his father, my great grandfather, our great grandfather, was the photographer for Eisenhower during his election campaign. So, yeah. like, but anyway, so, like, Albert Camus in The Myth of Sisyphus says that, you know, when we're thinking about existentialism, you want to think about Sisyphus as happy in that moment. Right. So he, as he's, cl- he's going up to the top and then it falls down and you can imagine him being happy as he breathes and then he gets to walk back down. That's his break. Right. You know, but then he, and the, and the thing is as an existentialist, like even if, you're doomed to crawl up this hill for eternity with a rock. You can imagine Sisyphus happy. And what does that tell you about how we ought to be living our lives? It tells you that you work towards something and regardless of the outcome, when it's over, you have that relief of it being over. Yeah. But even if it's about to start again. It's all work and grinding. And as soon as that, rock rolls down the hill the weight's gone at least for a second and it's the same thing in life yeah when you're grinding towards something and it doesn't work out you have like at least a a temporary feeling of like at least i you know i tried it's gone though and you feel some sort of happiness or relief from it and also when you think about this too like he like he talks about why you shouldn't kill yourself and he says that the true question, <clears throat> the true question of philosophy today, of existentialism today, of just the question of today is why we should stay alive. Should I kill myself in the morning or have a cup of coffee? Yeah. And the that, thing is, it's like, and his response to this is the myth of Sisyphus, is of ma- imagining Sisyphus happy. And it's not to say you should imagine yourself outside of your horrible situation to be happy thinking about butterflies. It's just that he's happy not even not necessarily in the process of rolling, but there's a moments right. of him where he can be happy. And I think that's something that's really beautiful. I, I did teach it once when I taught, I, I, I taught existentialism and I taught that text and it was really fun, but I really want to teach it in an intro class, but I don't like talking about suicide in an intro class because yeah. we can't talk about it in depth enough to make sure that they're okay. And well, because it's a broad topic, too. It's, it's mm-hmm. not just, you know, it's someone like, going through a rough time. There's also mental health and there's disease. Yeah, and, like and so, and, like, if you don't, if you're teaching an upper-level class, it's nice because you know usually know the students, so you know that, like, yeah. the people taking this class can handle it in a way. And if they can't, they usually feel comfortable enough to talk to you about it before anything escalates. Right. Um, but, yeah, so it's something I would love to teach. Because I think it's such a positive... It's a, it's a positive philosophy in, a, in so many ways. It I think, is. Like this is such an exciting thing of like imagining this person doomed to like roll up a freaking rock on the. You imagine him happy, and what does that tell you about your life? The problem with existentialism is flies in the face of how we are hardwired in our brain to see yeah. patterns and everything, to find purpose in everything. Yeah. Because it's like, uh, what is it? One of those uh, defense mechanisms that we have in order to see patterns, to see threats. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you say that ultimately none of it matters, Mm -hmm. all the patterns that you see are meaningless and that you are going to have to make your way without any guidance, really, uh, it really is hard for most people to, you have to be ready to hear that message. Well, and speaking of being ready to hear a message... Descartes was right. Nothing is real. <laughs> That's not what he says. <laughs> F. We're all in it. We're all in it. Okay, so I want to hear a little bit about the movie Day of the oh. Dead. 
John didn't do any okay. of his research this time, but that's because we have Steven oh, here. Surely, John, you know enough about this movie to... I don't know enough about Day of the Dead. I came in thinking it was Dawn of the Dead. So he was prepared for Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> the 1985 film that has five skulls on Shutter Essentials and is 100 minutes long and says, After a zombie apocalypse, scientists attempt to reverse the reanimation process. And what I like about this is it's like, after the apocalypse, what do they do? And I feel like I haven't seen a lot of movies where they talk about the reversal except at the end of Shaun of the Dead. Right, right. Where they kind of like... It's not make re- them pets, workers. Yeah, they make them like the the basic workers that do nothing, and it's like this seems like a dangerous thing and silly, but yeah, yeah I love Shaun of the Dead. It's one of my favorite. Well, movies. this was the movie uh, we hearken back to when we watched Return of the Living Dead. Yes, this was the movie that was coming out that went up against Return of the Living Dead. Really, this was George Romero's movie versus John Russo's uh, movie. We'll find out who's the grand champion of zombies. And this is George Romero? This is George Romero. Okay. George Romero, basically, I don't. I think it's you can safely say invented this genre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the genre of reanimated corpses coming back to life. Yeah. Uh, he didn't invent the, the word zombie had been around for a long time. In fact, he didn't even use the word zombie in the first one. I think yeah. he used it in the second one, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't He's zombie in, uh, in uh, Creole magic? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it was Haitian voodoo. Yeah, because they used to be able to slow a person's heart down where they thought they were dead. You can and then they would still... wake up and people thought they were zombies. Well, you can actually still do that. That's a thing that has been in like many different faith traditions for like thousands yeah. of years, right? Where it's like people can put themselves into trances or be put yeah. into trances. Right? Yeah, where they would be claimed dead. They would yeah. have no heartbeat. Well, yeah, there's a medical condition, too, that can happen to you. Yeah. That's and, wild. Uh, I think that's where the whole idea of zombies came about. Yeah. Well, t- actually, the, the idea of corpses reanimating is a very old tradition. <laughs> Jesus? Christianity is basically built around it. Yeah. Okay. Our Savior is uh, zombies. Uh, Stephen, have you, seen, were... have you read the Gospel According to Biff? Yes, I have that book. Oh, I love that book so much. Is that the one where Jesus is best friend or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, I think I gave that to you. Um, the yellow cover? Yeah, yeah. it's yeah, I so good. I love that book. And in it, he talks about how Jesus never got the reanimation stuff right, and so how he shouldn't, like, he really didn't want Jesus to try to reanimate himself because he's like, because, like, Lazarus stink. But Lazarus, yes. like, first Lazarus pretended that he wasn't sick, and that's why Jesus never heals him. Because Lazarus right. refused to accept that he had freaking leprosy. And then Lazarus yeah. comes back and he's stinky and gross. And it's yeah. like, Jesus, you never got that right, man. I don't know if you should be, like, going to resurrect yourself. It's good. Well, this movie... Um, it's as old as me! It's as old as you. Yeah. Yay! But it wasn't as well received as his first two movies. Okay. Well, well Dawn of the Dead uh, was Light of the Living like... Dead was the landmark movie. Dawn of the Dead is widely considered to be one of the greatest horror yeah. movies ever made. Did we watch Dawn of the Dead? We have not watched Dawn of the Dead together. Okay. I have watched Dawn of yeah. the Dead. That's what I thought we were going into because I'm like, Shutter Essential of the Dead? Gotta be Dawn. We have a question about... <laughs> so last time we were recording... Oh, Stephen, we had a question about the Children of the Corn. This is a, a right. little sidetrack. Um... And my question is to you, because you're the my history maker. Did we ever watch the original Children of the Corn, or did we just watch all the made-for-TV ones or like stuff on TV of them? Because like did we I never watched it. We had it on VHS. We had it on VHS. Regular, yeah. the first one. We watched. You talk about the original one, right? Yeah. Yeah, the one that came out in like the eighties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we watched okay, it. It also it, came on TV all the time. Yeah, so that one, and also like the Children of the Corn, that is. There's one in which that I really remember very clearly that is like, but there's like, and it's like, there's one in which like, it's the premise is that everyone in this town had like children that were blonde and creepy at the same time. And then Uh, like one of the kids was less blonde and creepy, but it was sounds like, uh, Invasion of the Body. No, it's like that, but it's not. And so I feel like there's a Children of the Corn in which it's a little bit different. It does involve a government shutdown of the area. 
It's, I don't know. I'm, I, I know what movie you're talking about. It's like Children of the Damned or something like that. Yeah, it's like, but it's like everyone's blonde. They have the bowl cut. They're very scary. It's like where we live up here. And like, yeah, it's it's not Children of the Corn. It's something else. It's, it's like Children of the Damned. It's a, it's a playoff of Children of the Corn, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Children of the Corn. Uh, it's funny we're going to talk. I, I should have been on the last, uh, last one. Uh, Children of the Corn, that movie had so little to do with Stephen King's story. Yeah. His like, did story you ever read, is beautiful. Did short story, Children of the Corn? Yeah. Yeah, I love how it's like, at the end of it, it's like, oh, wait, this guy's real. Yeah. Like, the the, the, yeah. the God is real, and he's killing everybody. Well, not God. It's uh, a you God. Know, it's the man that walks behind the road. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I think, in my opinion, that guy is more like a, either a demon or yeah. a force of nature. Yeah, he's definitely well, like... it was uh, Randall Flagg. Yeah, well, he's definitely like a Randall bad guy. Flag, yeah, yeah. Because in the movie, they were right next to Mother Abigail. Yeah, they were next to Hemingford They were Holmes. trying to get to Hemingford. That yeah, end but of... that very well could have been just an Easter egg for... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he likes to populate his universe with Easter eggs. Well, yeah. yeah. It's almost all in Maine or Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's, it, uh, what's, the, what's the town in Maine? Well, there's two. Derry. There's Derry, Maine. Yep. Which and, has it and all and of that. And then there's one. Jerusalem's okay. Lot. Oh my god, Jerusalem's, Jerusalem's Lot is my favorite Easter egg that he puts in stuff. That's so scary. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. Okay, sorry. I got distracted. Day of the Dead. Steve, what do we need to know before going into this? Because right now I'm looking at a picture of a zombie fight corpse. There's a, a clearly some kind of medical person with a medical hand. Like it's in like a glove, covered in blood, right. going towards a zombified corpse that has headphones on. And it looks so similar to Return. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, this the is, makeup. This is we'll image. start with the makeup artist, since that's what we're focusing yeah. on right now. Tom Savini, uh, the legendary makeup artist, was the main uh, dude that did all of this. Uh, he, I, I can't really describe to you what the zombie on the TV is right now. For any, people are watching, Shutter app has a like a screen caption of a scene in the movie with a description of the movie on it, mm-hmm. and that's what we're looking at now. And I, I, I can't really tell you what we're looking at there. But uh, this movie started as George Romero was going to create basically the Lord of the Rings of zombie movies with this movie here the script was like i think 150 pages oh, what like, I aren't they like 30 usually no they're like, like 80 I, I like it mentioned to you off of uh camera that i actually read the entire script <laughs> off camera <laughs> oh it was but yeah, he read the entire script wow of this movie because that would have been like uh, a three a and teenager. a half four hour movie at least yeah it was a huge movie um well Frodo had to get the ring to Mordor somehow he could have and all that, that stuff bird thing. Uh, <laughs> obviously the sequel to Dawn of the Dead which you can't find anywhere because it's in the the ownership of the movie is up in the air no one knows who has the rights to that because each title is owned by different people the world owns night of the living dead because okay. that movie was never trademarked and so that's wow it's one of it's like so it's, a, it's a wonderful like a, life it's a wonderful life of horror yeah. movies yeah john george romero didn't receive any type of money from that oh. because it wasn't trademarked it immediately went into that's why i found know, it on dvd for five dollars in the mid 90s when dvds were 25 bucks yeah. oh wow that makes sense so i just wanted to pause for a second and point out that Mabel is so tie tie. She's so tie tie next to you. She's Mabel is a very pretty uh, King Charles spaniel. Yeah, something like and that. Something like that. But she's very cute, <laughs> and she's got big floppy ears, and she's sleeping on top of the couch cushion, like because like animals, kitty cat. like a kitty cat, because they love to, like deforming couch cushions. All animals do. Yeah. They're like you like yeah, this. It's good. It's done. But okay, sorry. So, so Dawn of the Dead is the prequel. Is not the prequel. It's like the it's well, it's the sequel that this is a the tri- trilogy. Is the, think of the uh, Romero's movies initially as the trilogy. Yeah, dawn, night, dawn, and day. Would you and say that night kind of okay? 
So at the end of night, when the main character, the black guy, gets killed by the white people, do you think right. it's because they're racist or they yes. aren't paying attention? It's a racist. Well, that was Romero's point. Yeah. So Romero, that whole movie was about... Um, racism, right? Racism. Well, yeah. racism and communism. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, that's like, terrifying. It was, it was yep. like the uh, new world devouring the old, basically. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, he deliberately had that you know that that was the reason there was no subtext to that it was like text they saw a black man and they shot him because it's not it's not that they saw a scary black but that's kind of the whole thing it's like if that that was a white man they wouldn't have shot him no right you know and that's how it's just kind of like you know in the what was that the 70s no 60s 60s the 1960s that this comes out and he's doing this so the, so that was that was the um, the Night of the Living Dead. The Dawn of the Dead, does that come out in the 70s? Yeah, yeah 78. Or was it that? So he waited a 75. decade to do it? Let me see. Because this came out in 85. Dawn of the Dead was 78. Okay, 78, because this okay. comes out like much later. Oh, honey, Dawn of the Dead. It came out January guys, 1st, 78. Guys, so. guys, guys. Dawn of the Dead came out in 1978 when John was born, and this one came, David, I came out in 1985. Yeah, so I'm Dawn of the Dead, you're Day of the Dead. I'm Day of the Dead, everybody. <laughs> One superior. Okay, well, I can't wait to see the movie with y'all to find out how you feel about that. <laughs> what, should we should we get started? Is there Wait, yeah. Stephen, is there anything else that you want to kind of tell us about it before we get started? This movie is dark. Ooh. It's dark, it's bleak, um, there's not a lot of sun in this one, which okay. is why it's, you know, for the longest time, it's gotten a resurgence of popularity now. Yeah. But for the longest time, it was considered the weakest of his three okay. because of how dark it was. There was not a lot of optimism. Yeah, As I opposed don't... to the the first one where the main character dies immediately. <laughs> well, the first one gets a pass because it's like, you know, um, the first it was one? A, the first of its kind. Well, yeah. yeah, it's introducing a whole new idea. Yeah. Well, But I don't remember revisiting this one too often. It was I... either a night or a dawn. Like, yeah. I don't... I'm guessing I would have watched this, but I cannot say when or how I'm long it's been. I'm in the same phase, uh, same space in which I assume I've seen this because I am Stephen's sister. You've seen it, but you were young. Yeah, I was probably you very it. young. Yeah, because like there's others that are like the first movie that I really truly remember. Uh, there's two movies that really affected me a lot, and one was Blade Runner, and the other was Invasions of the Body Snatchers. Both which I think I was five, like four, five, and six when we yeah. watched them. Um, and those fucked me up real good in a lot of ways. Um, we've talked some about it on this podcast, but I used to sleep with my hands. See, I don't even know if you knew this, Stephen, but like I used to sleep with my pinkies over my nose, like my thumbs over my ear holes and my other fingers over my, my eyeballs and my mouth, my hands covering my mouth to, so that the body snatchers couldn't get into these orifices. Yeah, for other orifices. Three though. years. Yeah. I was a kid. I was stupid. But in the invasion of the body snatchers, they come in through your face. Oh, that's you know, right, so yeah. like okay. for three years, this was years. And even sometimes, sometimes my hands kind of creep up there. I'm like, no, no, body snatchers aren't real. But are they? Are they <laughs> real? And also, why would me covering my face? do anything to stop them it wouldn't uh it would not they but could this slap was... your hands away with these yes exactly because i was a dumb kid okay yeah. let's get uh let's get on this one huh, guys yeah hi everybody hi hi so hi. we're 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 at 11 minutes and 25 seconds yeah it's basically been setting the scene visually and that's it yeah, so basically, do we know the name of the lady? No, Steve, we don't have you know any name? really context on anybody. No, so basically, no, I, I, they go into it more. So up, there's a I don't para- know the name of the actor. Though. There's a paramilitary group basically looking for survivors, so they go like drive them somewhere that looks like Miami. They they land their helicopter and just start screaming, "Hello, is anybody there?" And that attracts zombies. <laughs> what a surprise! <laughs> But like, the, and it's yeah. during the daytime, and the first one you see is looking at you, and his jaw has been split in half, as Ripped if maybe or, maybe yeah, someone yeah. tried to kill him, you know. And the, but they didn't get the brain; they got his jaw, and the jaw like was split in half and is like drooling, and then the quarter of it fell off. 
It looked great. It looked fantastic. So yeah. everyone's kind of like in their work clothes. It probably happened on a Tuesday. Yeah. There's an alligator. As you'll yeah. have in Florida. Yeah. And so, I mean, we I assume Florida because it, it looks, looks like... Palm trees and water. Yeah, it definitely yeah. looks like the Everglades. Yeah. I think the film definitely takes place in the Everglades. Yeah. And so it was... So basically, they go back in the helicopter. They go to the, the area that they're in. The woman seems kind of quasi in charge. There's like a woman there. Yeah. And wearing pants, so she's serious. That's right. So she must be mean business. She means business. She's got pants. She's got pants and her hair is pulled back. Um, but uh, there's zombies at the gates, which we have seen in isn't like every the, other zombie thing ever. Isn't that an album, Zombie at the Gates? I don't know, but I feel like I'm they sorry. are. Um, and so uh, zombies at the gates, she doesn't let the men do their work. She's like, they're going to see you. They're like, they can see us anyway, but wait till it's dark. You're rolling them up. And so, and that's basically been it for like 12 minutes. Yeah. There hasn't yeah. been a whole lot of, there's been like no dialogue. No. I mean, there has few, been, but we're not a few even listening three to three-word sentences, like, over there. Yeah. Conversational dialogue. Yeah, really just kind of like, rah, 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 rah. But nothing of context, yeah. nothing of substance. It's just Like, in theory, uh, uh, What it was letters. supposed to set up is that the world is over. Yeah. Yes. That there are a the, lot of like, zombies. Yeah. So, like, they're flying around. They're going out further and further trying to find survivors. And yeah. they're finding nothing. They're not even finding random survivors no it's all over no it's just them and uh and i'm interested to see more yeah yeah let's keep going okay it's been another 10 minutes and not a lot has happened still yeah not much but we have established that for some reason they are kidnapping zombies yeah, they're trapping them and yeah, some in that there's a lot of guys in this like paramilitary group that are douchebags, and that there's one guy that's about to crack, that yeah, yeah. she has doped, and well, that's her boyfriend. Oh, it's her actual boyfriend. It's not. They're yeah. not just saying that. Okay, her boyfriend has gone nuts. And he smacks her a bunch of times. Yeah, that was and, shocking. And she drugged him. Yeah, it was shocking. And then she, and then he hugged her, and she drugged him. And they're like, maybe you should spend last time fucking him. And blah 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 blah. She's like, how dare you? And so basically, she's trying to get him taken off of duty right now because he's about to crack. And they're yeah. saying that they can't afford it because they can't take anyone else off right now. Mm-hmm. Um, That's the most realistic part of this movie in dealing with the military. Yeah, is that. Yeah, it's like it's, when, when I'm, I'm a couple decades removed from it now, but I do know for a fact that when it comes to mental health in the military, they pretend not to see it. Yeah. So after the fact, so, where yeah, it's like very, after the fact, they're going to be oh well, like you know, like the, you never knew, they never said anything. Like the physical violence, the lashing out like that—that's very yeah. real too. Like I knew guys that come back from you know deployments that you know, smack their little ladies and stuff. That's like, awful. It's, it's, well, it's a weird thing. It's, it's a really weird, you're wound up like a spring, you know? Well, they and probably then, all have PTSD and yeah. like, that's a really good, ex- that's a really great description of it. Wound up like a spring, right? That, yeah, yeah. that they're just they, anything. Sometimes you, your, your brain or your body, it realizes that you have to decompress somehow and depending on the type of person or your background or whatever, it decompresses in ways that could be dangerous to other people. Especially people that are weaker than you because they don't do it to their superiors or people stronger than them. Necessarily, they might. Some of them might. Well, it's normally... As, uh, well, more is because that person is around them more. Yeah, and so it's like, like they can be vulnerable, so they're finally able to let their guard down, but they can't because they're in a horrible space well, mentally. It's it's also, you get into like this um, cyclical type of reasoning in your brain where you know something's wrong, and you know why something's wrong, Yeah. but this other person can't quite understand why, and you don't have the words to tell them how, what's going on. And so you get angry and yeah. defensive and you wind up, you know, lashing out as a defense, you know, kind of like defense mechanism. Well, it's this also like is attacking you the, I, the idea of like what a trigger is 
And this is like one of the frustrating things about five years ago when people were trying to explain what it is. But like a trigger can happen that day or it could happen two days ago or a month ago. Mm-hmm. And it bubbles up in weird ways. Yeah. Right? And it bubbles up by attacking your spouse or like having a meltdown because you can't find your socks. You know, yeah. like, or, or something I, I like... I had a buddy that put his fist through a pane glass window because yeah. uh, Bowser wouldn't let him in. With yeah. And it wasn't about that. Right? Yeah. It obviously, like, it was about the trauma. Right? Yeah. But it's about, uh, about the trauma that's not actually, like, recognized. Right? But it, or it could have been, like, that thing or it could have been wound up or it could have been that something reminded him, like... That morning, that and it just bubbles out where he can't control it yeah. at that point, you know? It's sad. But yeah. anyway, we have a bunch of people that are probably also really wound up in this movie because they're all living through a zombie apocalypse and we need to let the, yeah, let's let the dog, let's let the dog go to bed. Yeah. And, uh, and then we'll keep going. John, do you remember any of what just happened, Mr. Sleepyhead? (laughs) Yes. What happened? Why don't you give us the narrative of what happened for the last 30 minutes of this movie? Last 30 minutes? Yeah, it's been about about half an hour since we paused. Don't don't twist your arm around. John hurt his hand, everybody. He's a delicate flower today. John, what happened last 30 minutes that you were definitely awake? I was definitely awake. Then tell me what happened in the movie the last 30 minutes, huh? Well, they have the zombie down here and the doctor's thing, and they... Stephen, what happened in the movie in the last 30 minutes? <laughs> so they go into more detail on what it is they're exactly doing down there. And they're, they're a group that was sent by the government, a civilian group with military oversight, to find out what is happening, why the dead are coming back to life. And they've been down there for a few months, I think. I, I, I don't remember. I think it's like three or four months, maybe six months. And they have no communication with the outside. Yeah, well, yeah, communication is falling. I think they've, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, you know, the guy, the main uh, scientist there, he said that by this point in the series, the dead out, number of the living yeah. 100,000 to one yes so you could take every bullet that you had and you wouldn't put a dent into it yes and they run experiments extremely gory experiments there's a guy freshly dead the captain that died before the beginning of this movie right. but so one of the cap the, the guy in charge had just died and this crazy fucker just stripped the body of the like stole the body Basically, it wasn't buried. He stole it. He stripped the body of its, like, dress uniform or whatever and, like, left the clothes there with his name on it and in his, like, lab and had the body laid out there. And it has... And he took off its face. And all it was... All it is is a... It's a body... With a spine and a brain, nothing else. And the brain looks smaller too. Well, yeah, he's cut off a bunch of pieces of the brain. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's what he did to the former captain. This guy's nuts. Yeah, he is. But he's basically trying to. He is trying to um, make the the zombies more docile. The lady from the beginning is broken up with her boyfriend because he was a you know crazy person. Yeah. Uh, but she also, her and a dick, and she is trying to, like, reverse it. So her goal is to reverse it. His goal is to um, make the zombies docile and usable. And he's made some progress with the zombie that is, it, it sounds like it's the zombie of, they lost one doctor, or, like, one of the scientists, and they lost five yeah. of the guys. And so one of the scientists they're currently experimenting on and he can remember, like, being in the military because there's, like, a scientist, doctor, whatever. Yeah. Um, remember guns? He tries to kill someone with a gun, like a zombie with a gun. A zombie, zombie that knows how... influential these movies are. Yeah, and how... By, by the way, by one well, more thing, though. putting that in there. That makes this canon throughout all zombie movies that anybody has ever made after this. Yeah. 
that zombies can retain some uh, semblance of Yeah, past. that they remember something, they congregate to places they used to know. You know, that's, like, later on, too. And then, like, so another thing is that the main quack Dr. Frankenstein you called him is covered in blood the entire time. None of the other scientists are covered in blood. Presumably, they have more than one lab coat each, you know, but this guy chooses to be covered in blood at all times. And so maybe he's just stained all of his coats or whatever. Um, and he's like, seems to have a hard on for the fact that he's still alive. And the guy that was making more money that complained yeah. about his pure research or whatever, this, that his pure research would never get him anywhere. He's like, now look what your, now look what your practical experience has got you. Dead in a zombie. But he does give him a book that's relatively new in the, in the time period. I keep using scare quotes. And it's Salem's Lot. Yeah. Yep. Which has got to be, it's definitely the scariest book I've ever read in my entire life. It was the most horrifying book I've... Something like that during the scariest part. I know! Why would you read Salem's Lot during the apocalypse? Yeah. That's mani- maniac times. But, anyways, uh, anyway... <laughs> yeah, go ahead. They uh, were having a meeting, the head-crazy military guy... He has discovered what Dr. Frankenstein has been doing, trying to domesticate Bub. Which he has told them that that's what he's doing. Yeah, but he does not react well to it. No, he doesn't react well to much of anything. He seems a bit highly, tightly wound. High-strung, yeah. High-strung. And that's pretty much where we are, and there's about 45 minutes left of the movie. We're more than halfway through. John is in a lot of pain, (coughs) and he sleeps through most of it, so... No. Well, I'm he looking forward. It, but John forgets that we're on camera now. <laughs> yeah, we're literally on camera, John. <laughs> Stephen can see you. I'm just relaxed. He's so relaxed. Okay, everybody, shoot. Okay, let's keep going. Where, where are y'all at? Uh, one twelve twenty. One twelve twenty. It okay. is. So. I think that guy's dead. I think that guy's dead. I I really love this movie in so many ways. And one of them is just in the nonsense. Like, so, basically, they're on another zombie retrieval mission. And this time, the twitchy boyfriend, like, is, is not really doing a bad job. But the yeah. apparatus he uses to, like... Stop the zombie from killing everybody. He was, breaks. Still, right. he was still doing a bad yeah. job before that. He was super timid. Yeah, he was super timid and stuff like that. But and but basically, shaking. so everyone, there's like a whole fucking room of, of like military people with guns. The zombies yeah. are slow. And yet he's able, the zombie's able to rip someone's throat out. And well, they can't kill the zombies. That's the problem. It's like they're forced to allow these zombies to live. Because they are used for uh, experiments. Yeah, and so, but the thing is, it's like they should have like they just get a second zombie. Yeah. You know, but anyway, so they're running out. They mentioned earlier that they were running out. Oh, okay. There's hardly any left in yeah. that particular area. Yeah, it would have to be if they're a hundred thousand to one. Yeah, like in the so, in the somehow they got into that mine. I don't know if they put those zombies there. Or, yeah, because they were, they were in the above ground at one point. You could see everyone yeah. above ground, and they've been in. I guess the mines where the research is, and so okay, that makes a lot more sense that they that they don't want to kill him. So zombie rips out someone's throat, craziness ensues, and then the lady and the and the guy that gets his throat ripped out shoots someone else, like one another human, yeah. and then. Like, the lady, like, shoots the zombie. The lady scientist shoots the zombie in the head. Meanwhile, the other zombie gets loose and kills and bites her boyfriend. And yeah. that guy, zombie, gets killed. Another guy had gotten bitten by a zombie and gets killed. Uh, or, no, the guy with his throat ripped out gets killed. And so then the boyfriend runs off, and she, she fucking machetes his arm off. His arm off. With, like, the two yeah. dudes that are just kind of, like, there's the Haitian guy. And the vaguely British guy, and they live in a little cottage away from everybody in a nice little place that they've like. Platonic best friends. Platonic best friends. Best friend, that's what they show in the 80s, but it's like, 
okay, this looks familiar, but okay. Um, but, and so they're helping her, like, like to try to save the boyfriend, I guess. Um, the military people hate that he's there, but they let him stay yeah. if they stay with the platonic best friends. Meanwhile... writes about like that guy by this point. Yeah, the guy's... He's crazy, he's put them in danger on more than one occasion. Yeah, and he's gotten multiple people killed this at this stage. And so, yeah. multiple people killed at this stage. And so then, like, so she and the other dude, the the non-helicopter flying one, the one who knows how to work the radios, who lives in the cottage with his, the other, the Haitian guy that knows how to run a helicopter, right? She and he go back into the facility to get something. What are they, what are they going for, Steve? I don't know. They're, like, either medical <laughs> supplies or something. But really what they're doing is they're just kind of like... They go in and they see that the, the dead people that had just died are already hooked up to fucking diodes and shit by this insane other scientist. And it's like, how are the military people not noticing this at all? Because, like, he's got to be coming in. Scientists not Yeah, like, it's like he's just coming in and out with all these bodies somewhere. And then, yeah. like, then they cut to, like, watching... Like, so the scientist goes in to talk to Bob, who is, like, the, the, his, like, pet zombie he's training. He's training him, like, to turn on a radio, or he's training him to turn on, training him to turn on a cassette player. And the zombie learns, so he has to get his, like, prize, which is human body parts. Which we find out because the, the military people come in, and they find out where the human body parts is. Like, all the people that just died are in a freezer. <laughs> And the captain, who's the hothead, but loses it and kills the head scientist because he's batshit insane. Yeah. And just it's like a thousand dollars. No, right? And he's kind of right the whole time because the thing is, but the thing is, we know there's no real hope in the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting. What's the one that we saw together, Steve? The return. The Return of the Living Dead, which is published at the same time, different director, same material. And that one, there's like no hope. It just stays. There's no way to even kill it. Right? Right. It's just what the world is going to be now. And this one, like, yeah, it's like they don't realize that the world is just going to be like this now. Well, this one, though, it's more because we have the luxury of having two movies prior. Yeah. Is, like, I think it's a... It's like a six-month period between Night of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead. Okay. So you have the world end, and no, it a supernatural apocalypse, basically, because yeah. the only way that this could happen is supernatural. Yeah. And they're frantically trying to... You have a scientific society trying to explain it scientifically. Yeah. And when that can't happen, then... Yeah, it, it, it's an interesting... The reason why I like Day of the Dead so much yeah. is that it's not, it's definitely not like the intro zombie movie. Yeah, yeah. It's you have to earn this. It's the one that's introspective. It's the one that explores what an apocalypse does to people. You know, I think it's really interesting, like we mentioned off camera, off podcast, how like the zombies in this, or at least the zombies that are being experimented on, have living eyes and the reason yeah. is it's like he's the scientists were doing behavioral tests on a freshly dead zombie right none of these behavioral tests are on the non-freshly dead zombies right like you no. see stuff like you see a non-freshly dead zombie dead on the ground and the scientist says oh he was being too aggressive we had to kill him yeah. so it's like there's no purpose to these experiments because if you need a freshly dead person to make the zombie compliable, that's not going to help you with the billions of zombies outside. And I think that was the point. Yeah. The point that uh, the Haitian guy, and I think that's basically, the Haitian is Romero's mouthpiece. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the Haitian was like, we should just give all this up. Go, you know, like we will never understand what's happening. We, you know, God's punishing us or something. Yeah. We should all just get in the uh, helicopter. Yeah. Fly off to an island somewhere, have a bunch of babies. Yeah. And uh, like, 
And I think that's where, like, that's where Mayor is speaking. Like, everybody was trying to make sense of what's happening yeah. in the world. And uh, it, uh, the description mentioned that it's, like, this movie has a lot to do with the AIDS epidemic that was going on. Which was, you know, oh. at that point, I, I was too young to understand, you know, know what was happening. Yeah. But it was sweeping the nation. It was yeah. super scary. And, um, you know, but... And it, that makes sense because if you get bitten and then they would just want to kill the guy that had his arm cut off yeah. immediately because they don't... it's a death sentence. Yeah, because yeah. they assume it's a death sentence, right? But is right. it? Can you be recovered? And then you have scientists being creepy weirdos, which kind of tracks. And you have some government... Like, in this sense, it's interesting because the government sent the scientists and the government people together, but the military is actively against what the scientists are doing. Yeah. Right, which They're in... Like- Reality. Yeah, in reality, what happened was the government didn't do fuck all, right? Nothing. They did nothing. They worse than nothing, right? So they did. They denied it for like the first five or six years. You know when fucking like what was her name? Um, the wife of um, Nancy Reagan. Yeah, uh, Nancy Reagan died. They said that she had done so much to help with the AIDS epidemic, in her original (sighs) biography. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, what? That, that must have been behind the scenes. Cause... Yeah, well, it was in no <laughs> scenes, right? It's like, but basically yeah. it was just like, she had done things for other epidemics, but not the fucking AIDS one. Um, uh, okay. It's considered so... the gay virus, so yeah. I about it. So let's keep going, huh? Yeah. Okay. All right. Four days later. Yeah, that's what I thought when the uh, opening credits. I thought it was another starring still. He was Johnson. Okay, that was awesome. That was so fun. Yeah. That was okay. So basically, after Doctor Frankenstein died, and they they took. I mean, I guess they wanted the. You think with the name Doctor Frankenstein, they would have known he would try this shit. The Haitian man is the only one that knows how to fly an airplane. So, in order to convince him to fly them out, the evil government people, the military people, take his best friend, quote-unquote best friend, and his best female friend, and throw them into a bunch of zombies in the mines. Oh, yeah. Which has, does it have the desired effect? For who? (laughs) That's true. For one group, yes. For the other, not so much. No, the, the he did not appreciate that. No. All of those guys died. Yeah. We got to see some really great scenes of people being torn apart. Now, yeah. the crazy boyfriend with one arm now ripped out the elevator so that he could go out, let all the zombies in, and take them back down into the mine. He did not know what was going on. He just was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. like, come on, zombies, eat me. Yeah. But we got oh, to He was see- having a rough day. We got to see some amazing scenes of a guy getting his head pulled off, that a guy great. getting his legs pulled off. The effects were amazing. Like, the effects the- are so good. Lots of people shooting zombies in the head. Like, the to be able to... The facial movement of a, dis- of a severed head... Oh man, upside down, an upside down severed head. It looked amazing. With its only, with no jaw, just teeth. Now, another thing I really enjoyed was the fact that (laughs) Bob the zombie knows how to use a gun and killed a guy with a fucking gun. So he's a soldier. He's a soldier. So I wonder. He was pissed because his best friend got killed. So I'm wondering if there is a level of intelligence among zombies. Are there some super smart Einsteinian zombies? Yeah, I mean, because Bob was like a surgeon. Yeah. In real life, right? But he was also... Soldier. He was a soldier. A soldier. But he was also yeah. freshly dead. Yeah, I want... The, uh... According to Romero, his next movie, Land of the Dead, goes into that more. Like, uh... They they retain and they begin to get smarter again. Yeah, uh, a few zombies do. Yeah, and um, yeah. yeah. So it's but by the land of the dead, land of the dead was okay, but the canon become came a mess. Yeah, like Romero definitely lost his edge. 
like after this movie right here. Land of the Dead was okay. Oh, was it? Wasn't there a good one in the like the early two thousands? Which one? Was uh, like, well, he did Land of the Dead, and then Diary of the Dead, and he then he did Survival of the Dead. Ooh, I thought there was Survival one. And Diary were not. Oh, I heard good things about Land of the Dead. Living in the land of the dead. Two thousand five. Yeah. Living in the land of the dead. I heard good. Wow. That made $46.8 million. That seems like a lot. At the box office. $46.8 million. That's so many. In 2005? Yeah. How much did it cost to make? Yeah. Um, I don't have the I wonder how much budget, this movie but... made. How much did Day of the Dead make, John? Well, I don't think it made as much as Dawn, but let me see. $18. Man, it must have cost a lot in caro syrup. <laughs> And whatever it is they make flesh loot out of. And extra spines. I mean, like... I could remember to use Box Office Mojo more often. Oh, yeah? Yeah, great website. Okay. Hashtag. Um, Box Office Mojo has Day of the Dead making $5 million. Well, you know what? I would like it to... Was, hear... It was only... has a, a $4 million budget with a $34 million box office. Cool. For Day of the Dead? So here's what I would oh, like to hear. All territory. I was looking at domestic. Oh. Oh no! It still says five million dollars. That's, that's spent, kind of an odd. It spent one weekend in the box office, or two weekends. So just in the box office. Anyway, yes. so uh, I want to ask a quick question. What's your brewers brews, everybody? Oh, I had a whole bunch. Well, I had prosecco and gin drinks. Well, I had Line and Kugel's Chocolate Dunkle again. Chocolate Dunkle. Steven, you had delicious coffee. Do you want to shout out to Folgers? Oh, Folgers. Uh, whatever Keurig does, yeah. <laughs> Your <laughs> awesome, beautiful Doctor Who Dalek mug. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What is everybody's grossest corner from this film? Oh, man, it's hard to pick one on this one. I have one. I'm going to start. Okay. So one of the guys that, the one with the horrible laugh that's just like, God, I hope this guy dies soon. He When he dies, he also gets ripped apart. But, like, <laughs> he gets grabbed by all the zombies, keeps laughing, and then he's screaming. And a zombie puts his hand, its hand in, his fa- in the dude's face, rips out his eye socket and his eyeballs bulging out, and rips his face off, part of his face off with his eye. And I thought that was pretty good. That was pretty gross. Yeah. I would think the guy getting completely ripped in half from the waist. Okay. I like that one a lot. But is it gross? It was gross. Yeah. And the pained look on his face made it that much better. Yeah, the fact that you could actually see... I don't think you could see the guy that got his head ripped off screaming the whole time. Steve, what's your grossest corner? Mine was the... Right before the laughing guy got uh, killed... Uh, his friend, the guy, the zombie basically bowlerballed his eyes oh. and pulled his head off. And as he's pulling his head off, his vocal cords extended. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Of the, of his scream got really high. Oh, my God. Oh, God. That's good. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that. You can tell Steve's a true musician. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, that is so cool. I really enjoyed this film a lot. Would you recommend this film to others, John? Yes, for sure. What do you give it out of 6.2? Oh, I hate these. I'm going to give it a 1 out of 10. And I'm going to give it a 7. And I think it's right behind Return of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Like, if you start from the... If you do the trilogy in order, I think it's a good way to go. Yeah. If you were to, if someone has not seen a zombie movie like a Romero movie, yeah, which of the three would you refer Ooh. to that person? I would of uh, the original, Living Dead. The first one, yeah, Night of Living Dead. Yes. The first one, it's I think... It's so accessible, there's no mistakes or anything in it's it. It's also like a closed system, right? It's in a house. It is all in a house. And yeah. it's like, it's all about... I never knew this about the movie until I saw it for the first time. It's about the relationships between people and society, right? It's about yeah. the how they treat black men and how like people perceive each yeah. other. Cool. And it, it, set, it sets the standard for the rules of yeah. zombie movies, too. Yeah? Yeah. There's no, like, every one of these, there's a step forward 
where something else is added. Yeah. Yeah. But the Night of the Living Dead is just a clean, really well done, smart zombie movie. Yeah. Well, I'm tired. Hi, tired. You're John. Yeah. Hi, Stephen. I think we're going to have to call it a night on this podcast. Yeah, well, we have to uh, say what the next movie is. What's the next movie? It's one that probably neither of you have ever heard of. Yeah? It is called Children of the Night. Children of the Night. Starring Peter DeLuise. Peter DeLuise. Children of the Night. It was filmed... It was filmed... uh, Karen Black is in it as well. And it was... He's so... Of the That's the name of the movie you were thinking of. That's it. Was it a TV movie? I know I must have just oh, seen it. It was a real movie, yeah. Oh, okay. Children of the Night. Yes. And it, uh, directed by Tony Randall, stars Karen Black, Amy Dolans, Peter DeLuise, and Garrett Morris from Saturday Night Live. Ooh. Garrett Morris? Yep. Okay, oh, when's this wow. from? What year? It was from 1991. Ooh. And it was filmed in our small town. Oh! Yeah. You had to find like a bootleg thing. Yeah, it has not. It was not released on DVD or streaming at all ever. I've only seen it once on VHS. It's on Prime right now, right? And it's now on Prime. We gotta watch. You gotta watch it too, Steve. That's what you think. Children, I'm looking, it sounds so familiar. Children of the Damned. Children of the Night. Children, Children of the Night. Yes, I have watched it once on VHS when it first came out in probably 1992. Okay. Excellent. Local. I remember everybody was like hounding the people around here who were making the movie, trying to meet Peter DeLuise when people knew who he was. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know who that is. Do you know Dom DeLuise? Nope. From Cannibal Run? I know Dom DeLuise. Do I? Um, any, if you watch any Dom Bluth movie. Oh, okay. That's his son. Oh, okay. Well, there's just two things left to do, everyone. First, say thank you to Steve. Thank you, Steve. Yay, Steve. And then two things left to do, buddy. Stay scared. And stay married. Goodbye. Hi there. Trish here. John and I are so glad you've decided to listen to this episode. To contact us, please email up to and including death at gmail.com or hit us up on our socials, up to and ID at just about everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and that's up to and ID. And that too is the number two. If you have a moment, it'd be great if you can review us on iTunes as long as it's five stars. <laughs> Thank you to Stefan Kartenberg for the use of his song Fire and Ice in the intro and outro in the middle of our program. Uh, Fire and Ice is a rock mix by Stephen, Stephen Kartenberg, copyright 2017, licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Thank you. Goodbye.